confess our faith together concerning the meaning of Christ's ascension and its benefits. What does the Bible teach us about that? We have a summary in the Catechism, page 879 in the back of your songbooks, page 879. Question and answers 48 and 49. Again, page 879, 48 and 49. Jesus went to heaven. He was both absent, gone from us, and yet still present. How does that work? In his human nature, he's not with us, but in his divine nature, majesty, power, and Holy Spirit, he's everywhere present. And 48 grapples with that a little bit further. If his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ, his human nature and divine nature, separated from each other? No way, certainly not. Since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere, it is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity that he's taken on, but at the same time, his divinity is in and remains personally united to his humanity. And then our focus this afternoon, question and answer 49. How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven. A sure pledge that Christ our head will also take us as members up to himself. Third, He sends his spirit to us each on earth or to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things that are above where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. Let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews 6, page 1190, 1190, Hebrews 6. We'll read verses 13 through 20. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, page 1190. He's saying in verse 12, don't be sluggish in your faith, But be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Like Abraham. Like Abraham. Faith and patience. Imitate them. For when God made a promise, verse 13, to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, 
a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. May he bless us by it. And we give him thanks for this good gift. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, 40 days after Easter, after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We asked last week, did Jesus' ascension into heaven reverse Christmas? I don't want to be here anymore. I quit. I'm tired of being with you folks here on earth. Did it reverse Christmas or did it advance it? And the answer is, of course his ascension advanced Christmas because he came to earth to live for us the obedient life we didn't live and to die for us the payment for sin we couldn't pay. And he fully accomplished every reason he came and he created salvation. And when he was done all his work, that he came to earth to do. He went up to heaven now to share that work with his people across the nations. It's an advance of Christmas. It's the mission of Jesus moving forward in high gear. And so we want to look today more closely at the benefits of Jesus' ascension. He has opened heaven. Heaven was closed to us. Remember? Initially in the beginning, heaven and earth were united. God walked and talked with Adam and Eve. And then we sinned and the curse came upon us and they were separated and heaven was shut. And a cherubim with flaming, uh, flaming swords standing in the doorway. And then at Christmas, heaven came down to earth to reconcile the two. And now Jesus went through that door back to heaven through that flaming Sword, he took the sword by dying on the cross, took it out of the way. And now the door is open and heaven and earth are getting ready for a full reunification one day. Jesus is there first as our forerunner. He's gone ahead of us. The door is open. He's opened the door. Second, our own flesh is there. And thirdly, He's our future. Our future is there in him. Good news. The ascension. First, Jesus went there as our forerunner. And the point of Hebrews 6 to the Christians in that time who are persecuted, are wondering whether the cost of following Christ was worth it. They were losing family members. They were losing friends for the gospel's sake. Some of them were losing their homes, their properties were being confiscated, we read in Hebrews 10. Some of them were leaving, losing their freedom, going to prison. Some of them were losing their lives and others looking at that said, I quit. This is not worth it. We're going back to the old Jewish ways. And the Holy Spirit is telling them, Take hold of the hope that you have. 
like Abraham did. Take hold of the hope you have, like Abraham did. What hope did Abraham hold on to? Well, God gave him a promise. I'm going to send you a son, a seed, and through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, and I will take your family to heaven, to the new Jerusalem, a city whose architect and builder is God, Hebrews 11. He made that promise that through Jesus, all this would happen. But Abraham never even got to meet Jesus. Jesus never came to earth in Abraham's time. He didn't die. He didn't rise. He didn't ascend into heaven. He wasn't there at the Father's right hand in our flesh. All of it was just a promise. And then God, because Abraham doubted, added an oath to the promise. I swear, as Matthew Henry says, God swore by himself. He staked down his own being and his own blessedness on it. No greater security can be given or desired. And Abraham believed. God made a covenant. He added an oath. I will do this for you. And Abraham grabbed onto that hope of salvation in Jesus Christ and becoming a great family that goes to heaven when he saw almost none of it. He grabbed onto that hope and through faith and patience, he obtained what was promised. He got there. Through faith, which believes what God has said and patience that's willing to wait for God to do what he has said. Those work together, right? Faith runs after the promise. Patience is willing to wait for it. And that's the challenge of the life of the believer. That was challenging the Hebrews. That challenges us. Now the apostle says, you, brothers and sisters, have far more reason to hold on to the hope that God has promised in his word, confirmed it with an oath in his covenant of grace, because it's more than just a promise now. That promise became flesh at Christmas. That flesh perished for us. The blood of the covenant was shed. The blood has been shed that covers your sins. It's real. Now that promise rose and now that promise is in heaven and that promise for us is a real person. He's in heaven. You've got someone real to hang on to now more than a word that is a promise, a spoken promise of God. You've got the word made flesh. How much more reason do you not have to trust and be patient like Abraham, imitate his faith and his patience, to hold on to that promise, to hold on to that person, that hope. Hope here is a person. God has fulfilled his word. And that word is now in heaven. Lay hold on that hope. Grab onto that hope. That hope is a person who's gone to heaven. He's your forerunner. The promise that God made to Abraham to save the nations through Abraham's seed, Jesus, and bring the nations, the family of God, to heaven, to the city, eternal city, 
That's so real, somebody's already arrived there. One of us, one of our race, Jesus Christ. And so look at verse 18. By two unchangeable things, promise and oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Now, I'm going to ask you, what's the hope? Hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this, this hope, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. Hope is a person. Our forerunner who's gone there on our behalf, having become a high priest for forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's opened the door. He's opened the gate. The angel, the cherubim, with the flashing sword has been put out of the way. That is, Jesus took that sword. The door to heaven is open for us. He has made safe the way to heaven's abode. And now he's there at the Father's right hand, advocating for us, interceding for us as our high priest and mediator, arguing on our behalf. I think of the power of Moses' intercession, and Moses was much lesser mediator. Remember, Israel was so stiff-necked and stubborn and disobedient to God that God finally said, that's it, I'm wiping them out and I'm going to start over with you, Moses, and make a great nation of you. And then Moses pleads as an intercessor and mediator. God, you can't do that. Your honor depends on your promises. you got to keep your promises. Well, that's exactly why God put Moses there, to plead for the people. And God heard that prayer, and he spared the people. And he said, okay, I will go with you. Well, Jesus is a far greater mediator. And that's why he's such a strong hope. He's actually shed his blood for us. Moses didn't do that. For the forgiveness of all our sins. And now he's gone up to heaven. Moses wasn't there. And he's right, right at the right hand of the Father's throne. They're on the throne together, the Bible says. Moses was never there. And he pleads for us. First John 1. I write this to you. That you may not sin, he says. But if you do sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's a propitiation for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Brothers and sisters, our sins and our temptations and weaknesses can crush us. They can get the better of us. And we can decide it's game over. There's no way God will ever have me back. But you have a hope in heaven, Jesus, who died for you. 
offered the perfect sacrifice, and he ascended. He opened heaven's door. He's at the Father right hand, Father's right hand to open a place, prepare a place for you, and to defend your cause. It's not like he's arguing with the Father. The Father put him there for that, I want you to be in my presence as a way for me to move out to my people constantly with forgiveness. So you have it, brothers. You have it, sisters. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. He's your forerunner, and your forerunner is a high priest who's offered his own life for your sins, and your name is written on his heart. We see, secondly, in Jesus, our forerunner, our own flesh is there in heaven. Somebody has gone ahead of us through the veil, through the heavens, into the heavenly temple. The earthly temple was just a copy of the real one in heaven. Even the earthly temple was really hard to have access, only the high priest and only once a year into the most holy place. But the heavenly temple, zero access. Except for the true high priest who went there first. And he is in the most holy place. And in him, a place has been reserved. I go there to prepare a place for you. In him, we have a home there already. In him, our own flesh is there. That hope is an anchor for our souls, says Hebrews 6. Jesus Christ, our forerunner and high priest, who's advocating for us, who's our own flesh in heaven, he's there as an anchor for our soul. And brothers and sisters, our souls need an anchor. Doesn't your soul need an anchor? What's an anchor? An anchor holds a ship in place to keep the ship from drifting away and heading over the falls. The ship needs a big, heavy, lodged anchor. Lodged in a good place, hooked firmly and tightly behind a gigantic rock that won't budge. Our souls need an anchor like that. We're like ships that float about. We waver, we flutter, we flop. We go from confident to crushed in one hour. One hour we feel so sure that Christ is ours and heaven is ours. And then we get some bad news or something goes wrong. And the feelings of our faith come crashing down and we wonder whether Jesus and heaven are really ours. That's how feeble and floppy our faith life is and we need an anchor. Our souls need an anchor and we've got one. We've got a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. Our faith ship 
It's tied to an anchor that's firmly lodged in a good place. But you know what? Normally you throw anchors out and they go down to the bottom of the sea or the lake. In this case, our anchor has been thrown up into the throne room of heaven, which, as you know, has a sea of glass around it. There's no disturbance there. There's nothing to shake that up. That's immovable, unshakable space. And that's where our anchor is. It can't budge. How did it get there? Well, the anchor is a person named Jesus, and when he ascended, your faith got anchored to the holy place in heaven. Amazing. Jesus ascended into heaven, and when he did so, he anchored our faith into the eternal, unchangeable, heavenly temple which cannot move. And on that day, Jesus, who is our own flesh and blood, a member of our race, he went ahead of us, he sat down at the right hand of God, and our lives are firmly tied to him by faith. And our lives are firmly lodged in heaven. So much so that the Bible says to believers, your citizenship is in heaven. You belong there already. So much so that Paul says in Colossians 3, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. And listen, your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden there already, lodged firmly, tied to Jesus, cannot move. No matter how much earth shakes under your feet, no matter how much hell screams at you, no matter what the world throws at you to try to take you down, your life is hid with Christ. In God. And then it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, well, you'll also appear with him in glory. Again, John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go there to prepare a place for you. You've got a place there already. Your citizenship is there already. Your life is hid with Christ there already. And then one more verse, Ephesians 2. God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. And what did he do? By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You're already seated there. Your name, your identity, your citizenship, your life, your inheritance is there in Christ. And then you can be sure because your flesh is already there and your mediator and your savior and your high priest. That's your home. That's your inheritance. It's your destination. He's your sure pledge. That can never perish, spoil, or fade away. It's kept in heaven for you. Now, this is not a promise for fake believers who don't care, who live for themselves, who, whose religion is just all show and sham. Don't be deceived. If you love your sin and aren't passionate about Jesus, you're not tied to that anchor. You're in a free fall toward hell. This is no guarantee for you. 
stop in your tracks and believe in him and repent of your sin and entrust your life and soul to his care. And then you may know that you are his and he is yours. And you also then have an anchor for your soul. Trust him. So no, it's not a promise for fake believers who don't care. But it is a promise for believers whose souls often flop and flutter and need assurance. Believers who need an anchor. And Jesus is your full assurance. You're tied to him by faith. He's there and so you are there too. And Jesus said, if anybody tries to snatch you from my hand, it's not going to happen. And then the father's with me. If anybody tries to snatch you from his hand, it's not going to happen. He's not going to let you go. It's good news. Your intercessor, your advocate, your flesh is in heaven. He's going to pray you there. I've prayed for you, Jesus said to Simon, that your faith failed. He's going to pray you there. He's going to protect you all the way there. He's going to instruct, rebuke, correct, and encourage you all the way there by his word and spirit. He's going to fight you there by pushing hard on your conscience when you're going the wrong way. He's going to fight you and pull you back all the way there. He's going to carry you there. Connections are important. If you have connections to somebody living in St. Kitts, that's kind of a good deal, right? Like, maybe you can have a vacation there. If you have a connection to somebody in higher levels of government, that's, that can be a good thing. Well, people of God, you have connections in heaven. Not only that, you have connections in heaven to somebody who's got your name written on his heart who loves you so much he gave his life for you personally, not just generally, but personally. Your name was on that blood. You've got connections. And that's a huge guarantee. Well, we see one more thing. He's our future. Our future is there. Our hope is there, our anchor is there, our savior is there, our future is there. What's the guarantee I'm going to get there? Well, he's gone ahead of us. Our savior is there, the one who died for us. But there's a corresponding pledge the other way around, we read in the catechism. Just pay attention for a moment to that last line in Hebrews 6. He has become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is not a high priest after the order of Aaron, which had time limits. You start at 30, you end at 50, you're done. He's not after the order of Aaron depending on bloodlines. But he's after the order of Melchizedek, an old priest of Salem a long time ago, who was a priest not because he belonged to a certain family line, and he had no term limits. Well, 
The Bible says that's the kind of priest Jesus is at a higher level. No bloodlines. He's there because of the power of an indestructible life and because of offering a perfect sacrifice. And he has no time limits. He's a priest forever. And you know what he did for you? The first thing he did for you when he got there? He sent down his Holy Spirit to live in you. And that's the third benefit. Third, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge by the Spirit's power. We seek not earthly things, but the things that are above where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. Our high priest is not only advocating for us, praying for us, but he's sending down a pledge to live in us and keep poking and prodding us and keep us in the way. Because you might say, well, yeah, the anchor is firm, it's Jesus. But how do I know I'm gonna stay tied to it? Like I might just let go or I might cut the rope one day. Jesus has taken care of that. He poured his Holy Spirit into your, your heart as a de- deposit, says Ephesians 1, guaranteeing the inheritance. And the Holy Spirit is holding the other end of the anchor, the other end of the rope, holding you so that you won't let go. That's the corresponding place. In Jesus' ascension, a piece of earth went to heaven to guarantee that's our place. And then at Pentecost, a piece of heaven came down to earth to live in you. To guarantee your future. Heaven's already living in me. The Holy Spirit's filling me. He who began a good work in you will carry it out to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. We have connections in heaven, but you know what? Jesus has connections to us on earth as well. And so he says, I'm with you always, even to the close of the age. He said to the disciples in John 14, I will ask the Father, and you will, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. By my Spirit, I will come to you. So I'm going away. My flesh is in heaven, but by my Spirit, I am also staying with you. The message of Hebrews 6, take hold of your eternal hope. It's real. Don't flounder. There's a place for you to hang on. There's an anchor. It's firm and steadfast. It's firm in heaven, but it's also firmly tied to you on earth by the Spirit by the high priest who's living in you. So go in the confidence that he's faithful, he's praying for you, he's protecting you, he knows better what attacks you face than you know, and he knows it ahead of time, he's preparing you, and he loves you far more than you can imagine and will never let you go. This is the confidence of every believer, trust in him, And this is yours. Amen.
Father, we praise you for raising up your son to your right hand. For opening the door to heaven for us. And putting our own flesh at your right hand. What a guarantee that it's real. Thank you for also pouring out your Holy Spirit to keep us tied to that anchor. Otherwise, we would let go. Father, we want assurance. We don't want to be sluggish anymore about your promises, but like Abraham, we want to take hold of our hope. We want to, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Give us both. Strengthen us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.